Hello, and welcome to New Books in Philosophy, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. I'm Carrie Figdor of the University of Iowa, and I'm co-host of the channel along with Robert Talese of Vanderbilt. In our bi-monthly podcasts, we interview philosophers about their new books across a wide variety of philosophical topics and areas. Today's interview is with Mayor Hemo of the University of Haifa and Orly Schenker of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem about their new book, The Road to Maxwell's Demon, Conceptual Foundations of Statistical Mechanics, just out from Cambridge University Press. Among the very many puzzling aspects of the physical world is this. How do we explain the fact that the laws of thermodynamics are time asymmetric, while those of statistical mechanics are time symmetric? If the fundamental physical laws do not require events to occur in any particular temporal direction, then why do we observe a world in which, for example, we will always see milk dispersing in tea, but never coming together in tea, at least not unless we film the dispersal and then run the film backwards. In their new book, Hemo and Schenker provide a fascinating and accessible defense of the position that the laws of thermodynamics are observer-relative, that the evolutions of physical microstates in classical mechanics have a direction of time but no determinate direction, and that the relation between observers and the dynamics determines the direction of time that we observe and capture in our thermodynamical laws. In consequence, they argue, it's just a contingent fact that we remember the past rather than the future, and Maxwellian demons, perpetual motion machines that can exploit more and more energy while putting in less and less work, are possible. Let's turn to the interview. Hello, Mayor and Orly. Hi. 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 Welcome Hi. to New Books in Philosophy. Thank you. Thank it's you. good to have this interview. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I found your book, The Road to Maxwell's Demon, just you know, really fascinating and, and also very accessible because I'm not a philosopher of physics. Um, so uh, it was uh, surprisingly gratifying to be able to, to read through the book and you know, see the, the dynamical equations and so forth. But actually understand what was going on. Um, so that was, that was uh, very important to me. Um, so you're, the book is, is, as a whole, is propelled by a, a fundamental problem, which is how we explain the fact that the laws of thermodynamics are time asymmetric, while those of statistical mechanics are um, time symmetric. And um, one of the really interesting implications you draw towards the end of the book is that um, it's just a contingent fact that we remember the past rather than the future. Um, and another one was that, you know, building a, a, a Maxwellian demon or a per- perpetual motion machine um, is just a, a practical problem. Um, and I'd like to build towards these uh, claims that they come later on in the book. Um, so maybe to begin, we can um, you can tell us a bit how you how you came to write the book, um, both why this topic um, interested you and and why, in a general sense, you you were prompted to write it. Um, perhaps we um, um, the best way to think about this is to ask is to to uh, think about the questions, the deep questions um, that we think are um, at the basis of the construction of statistical mechanics. Why is the statistical mechanics an important theory? What does it tell us about the world? And um, there are two such issues. Um, 
um, that we had in mind, uh, one of them was um, how to account for the thermodynamic regularities. And uh, the second issue uh, that we thought needed explanation is uh, the arrow of time, which is um, usually uh, discussed in, 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 context, in the context of uh, thermodynamics. Now, we, we thought that the right approach to answering these two questions uh, concerning the, the connection between statistical mechanics and thermodynamics was to think of statistical mechanics as actually a theory that takes us bottom up from mechanics to thermodynamics. That is um, the, the foundation of the theory, the main ideas we are allowed to use when we reconstruct the thermodynamic regularities and the arrow of time are the principles of mechanics only. This is, this is the desideratum. The idea is to take only the principles of mechanics and if possible, without adding any postulates, statistical or other, and then construct bottom up everything we need uh, in thermodynamics, everything we want, the regularities, the error of time, probabilistic uh, postulates, everything bottom up from mechanics. Actually, the project can be thought of as a physicalist project in that sense. Um, everything should be explained in terms of physics, where physics in, um, in our discussion here uh, is classical physics. Maybe we can uh, talk uh, later on a little bit about quantum mechanics. But as a starting point, we took classical mechanics as the foundational um, as the fundamental theory, as the foundation of, uh, of the way we think about the world and uh, construct bottom-up from classical mechanics everything we need. So, um, uh, yeah. so um, in, the, in the, the first chapters, uh, you, you explain how this problem, the, you know, the discrepancy between the, the asymmetry of time and in the asymmetry in, in thermodynamic phenomena and the, the symmetry of the physical laws that are the foundation that you're building up from. Um, and it seems like it's, it's one of your important claims is that you, you don't derive, you can't derive the laws of thermodynamics from those of uh, statistical mechanics and that these laws are, are not generally valid um, so they're, they're in, a, in some sense they are not they are not fundamental, um, and that they are uh, just regularities of our own you know generalizations of our own experience. So maybe you could um, summarize that that discussion in the beginning of the book. Uh, yeah, well, maybe we should start by saying this first. Uh, we know, I mean, this is this is something that that that, that is known, you know more or less from the beginning of statistical mechanics, that one cannot derive thermodynamics, uh, one cannot derive thermodynamics from uh, mechanics only. This is, you know, this is usually associated, I mean, this attempt is usually associated with Boltzmann, you know, his H-theorem and, and stuff like that. And it's, 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 I mean, everybody agrees about that, this today. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Now, about, about, about the issue of fluctuations, uh, what we want, I mean, we know that there are fluctuations in, in the world, so we, which, is, which is something that thermodynamics doesn't, uh, doesn't describe. And in fact, in fact the, uh, you know, the, the, the thing about fluctuations is that this is one of the, one of the, one of the evidence that people took uh, into account when, when thinking seriously, when, start, when people started to think seriously about, about statistical mechanics, namely, you know, that, that, that we should try to take it seriously because we know that there are fluctuations and we cannot explain fluctuations on the basis of thermodynamics. So, but as, as to the general validity of the laws of thermodynamics, given the mechanical picture of the world, I mean, this, the, the issue here is subtle. Uh, we, uh, we, what we want to do is uh, to uh, investigate whether one can derive, you know, including the fluctuations and everything we know that is true about the world empirically. Uh, the question is whether one could derive uh, from the principles of mechanics these empirical generalizations that, that we know hold in the world. So, you know, part of these generalizations are the, the ones that, that, that exist in thermodynamics. Not, we know that they are not exactly true because we know that there are fluctuations, but we want, and we want to recover everything within, within mechanics, we want to recover everything, including the fluctuations. Then the issue about the issues about whether or not you know one, one can one can construct Maxwellian demons or anything are, are even more general than that. Uh, but we're not there yet. I mean, in, in our discussion, so we can we can talk about this. But but the but the idea here is is to is to give an account on the basis of mechanics of both thermodynamics in some weak sense because we have to we have to correct for the situations perhaps uh, one way of um, of looking at this perhaps it would be useful to see our project on the background of the state of art in this field just very briefly mm. um, uh, um, there are um, two major theories that both both of them are called statistical mechanics this is well known one one of them uh, takes its starting point from Boltzmann's work and the other uh, takes its starting point from Gibbs's work uh, um, both of them try to account uh, in mechanical terms if possible for the same phenomena that we are after uh -huh. but in both of them um, whereas they start with mechanics, they add some postulates, uh, statistical postulates of two different kinds. And we try to account for these postulates bottom-up from mechanics. So, so our, um, um, each, each of those two um, uh, approaches... Um, um, each of those uh, two approaches um, has its important insights from which we try to learn, but has also its conceptual problems that we try to avoid. And the result theory that we offer is neither Boltzmannian nor Gibbsian. This is a new sort of approach built on concepts that we may talk about in a minute. 
And within this new framework, um, we try to offer a bottom-up, physicalist, mechanical account of the thermodynamic regularities, including the, the fluctuations. And by the way, we, took, we, we actually took, uh, you know, very useful and interesting and deep concepts from both Boltzmann and Gibbs. But we also, uh, you know, so we took from both approaches what we thought was uh, deep and correct and gave up, you know, the, the other concepts in each, in each, in each approach uh, in order to, to make this fusion. Right. So, um, I mean, one of, the, one of the central ideas that, you know, that I got from the book was the idea of the observer relativity of thermodynamics. Um, and maybe, uh, uh, maybe you could explain your, you know, the, the, the third way that you are, uh, defending, um, uh, in terms of that, that idea, how, how that comes in that, that, cause that seems to be the, the, the idea of the observer relativity seems to, seems to play a very important role throughout the, the throughout the book. Yeah, this so is let, a very good perspective. Yes, just, so yeah. let, let me just say, uh, you know, to begin with, I just want to repeat something that we, we already said, but is, 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 is really important here, and that is to keep in mind that, that we're, we're talking about a physicalist uh, approach. So, I mean, of course, we, we, we didn't go into that in the book, and we, we didn't want to go into you know, philosophical questions in philosophy of mind and so on, even though there is a lot to say. But the idea, you know, the starting point is a physicalist uh, uh, point of view. And uh, so when we say an observer, we mean a physical observer. So, so, so that, that, that's, that's just, you know, a, a comment for, uh, to begin with. Okay. Now, the issue, now the point is this. We know that there are observers in the world. It's a fact. We know that we are observers, for example, and, and, and you know, and we are in the world, and uh, and so uh, in that sense, uh, uh, what we what we, when we talk about the fact that the partition of the state space is relative to an observer, what we actually show is that one can give a physical account of the way in which an observer who, who is a physical system gets correlated with sets of microstates in the state space of the thermodynamic system. You know, that, that's, the, that's the issue there about the, the correlations between the observer and the external world and so on. And, and, and there's a, there's a, there are lots of subtle issues here, but you have to, you know, one has to remember that, that the, the approach is a physicalist approach. So whenever one talks here about a relativity to observers or anything like that, it has nothing to do with psychological point of views or subjective uh, perspectives or anything like that. It's a purely physical uh, uh, relationship. Okay, so um, I mean that that is important because you know the idea of observer relativity you know does generally tend to bring up precisely those sorts of uh, questions and also you know questions of you know anti-realism and things like that. 
there was nothing like that. Right, right. Um, uh-huh. Well, let's let's maybe we can talk. Maybe you can um, flesh out your 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 theory a bit in terms of uh, the case of of Tammy, um, the the imaginary character who who lives in the time reversed universe. Um, and in that part of the book, you um, you summarize uh, that thought experiment by saying that while um, uh, statistical mechanics is time reversal invariant, each evolution of the universe um, has a direction of time. So maybe you could um, explain your view from from the from the uh, you know the perspective of Tammy or using okay. that that device. Well, okay, we'll, we'll go back to the issue of macrostates uh, later on. Maybe Oli would want to say something about it because the, the, you know the, the stuff about macrostates and their relativity to observers mm-hmm. is extremely important in our view. And uh, it, uh, even though uh, you know there are even when you clean up the the, the uh, everything and you and you keep in mind your physicalist uh, point of view, still there are subtle issues. There. But but let me let me address the issue of the of Tami of the time reversed universe. So here again, what we what we what we want to say there is this: uh, it's everybody. It's well known that the laws of mechanics are what is called time reversal invariant, which basically means. That if we if we uh, uh, reverse the direction of time, you know, just put a minus sign in front of the t in the equations, the laws of mechanics uh, will still remain uh, true if they were true with the with the with the with the uh, original direction of time. So that's that's more you know just very very uh, crudely. The, <coughs> The, the sense of the term time reverse re- reversal invariance, okay. and and nonetheless, and this is a new this is a new uh, a new uh, uh, claim that that we have there in, in the book. We we want to say that there is a, that if if one wants to take classical mechanics seriously as a description of our world, then one. Then, then in, in a sense, uh, classical mechanics is incomplete, and one one has to add to it a, a, a direction of time. And that's that's a that's a new that's a new claim that we have there, because usually people 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 think that it, that that you know the the story ends if 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 one says that the laws are time reversal invariant invariant then then it means that there is no direction of time right and that's and we think that this is uh, wrong <clears throat> and here again the issue of physicalism comes up because what we mean by that is this if you if you take an instantaneous description of the of the universe so at a time, just take a time slice, so and you know, just just take all the uh, the exact microscopic uh, state of the universe at a time. Then, according to mechanics, uh, 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 you know, the state is exhausted by by giving the velocities and the or the momenta and the positions of all the particles that make up the universe. That's it. That's the full complete. Uh, state of the of the universe, and nonetheless, 
we uh, we feel we have an experience of a direction of time. That's it's a fact. It's, it's something we know that, the, and so and so there and so you know we we think that there has to be from a physicalist point of view there has to be <coughs> an effect, a physical fact in the world that accounts for our experience, for our feeling, for our sensation, you know. And and as far as we can see, there is not nothing in mechanics can account for this fact, uh, unless uh, uh, you know, unless unless one adds a direction of time into into this instantaneous state. That's that's the that's the claim in, in this chapter in chapter four, uh, and that and that is not inconsistent with the fact that the laws are time reversal in time. And these two these two things are are completely compatible with each other. So then let me uh, we you mentioned before the you know the the concepts of microstates and and macrostates and um, and I think that's so let, let's go back to that issue. Um, what are these different things? How how are they related? Um, and you introduced the idea of you know different partitions of the microstates, you know that are that are at the statistical mechanical level, um, and then sets of them that are microstates at the thermodynamical level, um, and then of course the relationship between these two things. So that that sort of structure there is 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 critical, I think. And maybe you could um, explain that. Um, yes, this is. Um this takes us back a bit to the to your previous question about the observer relativity of right. what's to be uh, an observer relativity in our theory. So, um, uh, very briefly, the idea is this: Look, um, um, mechanics, classical mechanics, is a theory in which there is no uh, explicit room for an observer. In that sense, formally, it is a theory without an observer. Formally, uh, and the uh, and in this theory. The state space of the universe consists of, you know, all the degrees of freedom of all the particles in the universe. Uh, and this is, seems to be a completely, it is a completely objective uh, a picture of the world. Now, we suggest that this overall total uh, uh, state space of the universe can be thought of as partitioned into two sets of systems, or there's two sets of degrees of freedom, one of which is an observer that observes the other part, the rest of it. These two sets are objective sets of degrees of freedom. Now, within this uh, state space of the universe that consists of the observer and the observed, um, there are microstates, of course. Every point in that state, in the representation of the state, is a point uh, it is a microstate. Now, if, however, if the if the um, uh, correlation between the observer degrees of freedom and the observed degrees of freedom are such that every microstate, for example, of the observer is correlated with a set of microstates of the observed, we have a one-to-many correlation between the observed observer and observed, every microstate of the observer, uh, which in, from a physicalist point of view is identical to the observer's experience of the world, 
is correlated with many microstates of the observed. Now, these many microstates of the, of the observed uh, make up a macrostate. And in that sense, this accounts for the fact that we, as observers, see the world, the rest of the world, in terms of macrostates. This is the, the relation between the microstates and the macrostates. And now, in addition to this, this is, this is a way, sorry, uh, just uh, one step back. This, this one-to-many correlation creates a sort of partition of the state space of, of the observed. Uh, given an observer and the way that this observer is correlated with the observed part of the universe, you can partition the observed part of the universe into sets such that each set is perceived by the, by the observer as a set because of this one-to-many correlation. Now, this, this is one partition of the state space of the observed system, a partition that is the famous partition to macrostates. This is how we account in our construction for the notion of macrostates. Um, and so there is an observer relative, relativity, but this, this relativity is objective because it is given in terms of the structure of the state space of the universe, in terms of degrees of freedom in the universe. So this is an account of this partition. So, so let me, that, this, okay, so now, now I'm getting a little, uh, a little bit clearer. Um, so let me just ask, first of all, what, what holds these, the macrostates are, are sets of microstates. So I guess the question, first of all, is, is, is what holds them together as, as sets? Um, and then, and then the, given your physicalist idea of an observer, I mean, what 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 is it that makes one of the macros, if I've understood, no. what is it that makes one of the macro states, in effect, an observer, um, uh, as opposed to the one that's being observed? Um, well, the, um, first of all, the two sets of degrees of freedom are treated on the same footing. Okay. Both are physical systems, and if they have the, the right structure, you could exchange the roles. Perhaps the observed can observe the observer in a different situation. This is a pragmatic partition. Uh, I take it that, that you know, not every system in the world can be an observer. Um, the, the, the desk we sit next, next to is, it doesn't have the right structure to have experiences, whereas our brains uh, presumably do have the structure. But, this, but they are not, no less physical systems than, than the table in that respect. So, so we have two physical systems. One of them has experiences. There are lots of, there are, you know, as we said before, there, there may be many questions that arise concerning, you know, what makes a physical system an observer, what right. makes a system which has an experience, which has a conscious experience, whatever. We don't go into these issues in the book. These are issues in philosophy of mind, which right. we have a lot to say about, but we, we didn't say anything about them in the book, almost. But, but still, I mean, the, 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 the treatment of the observer as a physical system plays a crucial role in what we do in the context of, of statistical mechanics. So in that sense, it's important to bring these issues up. Sure. Um, 
and the, uh, about the, the status that the, we, it's a, a, your question about what holds the microstates that form a macrostate together. This yes. is a very important question. So, so uh, let me try to to uh, to explain it. The only thing that makes these macrostates of the observed into a set is the fact that from the point of view of the observer, they are indistinguishable. The correlations in the world, in the universe, are such that each of the microstates within a given macrostate of the observer is correlated with the same microstate of the observer. Okay, all the... Uh, sorry, did I say correctly? Each of the microstates in a macrostate of the observed, all of them are correlated with the same microstate of the observer. And for this reason, whenever each of the microstates in the observed takes place, the observer has exactly the same experience because that same microstate uh, occurs in the observed, in the observer, sorry. So... Um, so and, and so this is the only thing that holds them together. It may be the case that they share the, the microstates in a given macrostate may share some physical feature. For example, they may share uh, the average velocity or they may share some oh, uh, a, 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 something like that or mm-hmm. positions, uh, yeah. etc. It may happen that they do. And in thermodynamics, they do. This is very fortunate. This is what um, enables us to to construct a theory of thermodynamics. But I'll say more about this later. But for now, the the major the, the main point about the construction of macrostates is that they come about by the correlation, the one to many correlation mm-hmm. bet- with with the observer. Do they do they have any? Uh, this gets into sort of. I do remember one thing, mm-hmm. Carol. It's, yeah. it's really important because I see it coming up. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is this. According to mechanics, you know, whatever happens in the world happens, uh, you know, supervenes on the, the actual microstate of the universe. You know, and, 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 the, and the trajectory and the sequence of microstates through time which, which, which the universe uh, undergoes. That's it. So, you know, the, the fact that there are correlations between the microstate, say, say my brainstate, my, my, the, my microscopic brainstate and the rest of the universe, and the correlations are such that, that I cannot distinguish between various different microstates of the rest of the universe, uh, doesn't make up, you know, doesn't give any... It doesn't bring into existence, you know, any any anything, you know, the set of these microstates, mm. uh, the part of the of the the rest of the universe. So all the, I mean, we're talking here about 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 correlations in a, in in an abstract state space that mechanics uh, uses, mm-hmm. and then in, and then and then one has to translate it back into into the physical space where we live, and it's a, it's a different it's a different story. So the thing is that that you know that that as a matter of fact, even when I get correlated with uh, you know in, in the state space, what one can say that there is a one too many correlation between my brain state and and the state of 
a gas that is in front of me. Nonetheless, <coughs> you know, uh, the state of the gas uh, is, 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 uh, is, is a microstate, is one single microstate, only one of these microstates which are all correlated with, with my brain state. Okay. There's no uh, macrostates is, is a very, I mean, the issue of macrostates is very subtle in, in statistical mechanics. And this is why we, why we devoted a lot of space to, to, to explaining it. Yeah. At this point, let me just, so how, maybe you can review again how exactly this relationship <laughs> explains the time asymmetry. So uh, uh, the first, first step towards this explanation would be to draw a connection between the partition of the state space into macro states, of the state state of, of the observed into macro states, and um, we have the state space, uh, the, the subspace of the universe, which is the space of the observed system. And we carve up this observed uh, state space into sets that form macrostates, so that each set contains microstates, all of which look the same to the observer. This is what makes them a set. Now, Now we want to ask about evolutions in the world, about the dynamics of systems, because up to now, all we said was how the observer sees the world at a time. The observer sees the world in terms of indistinguishable sets. All right. Now, suppose, for example, that the microscopic state of the observed system starts out in one of those sets, in one macro state from the point of of view of the observer. It is a fact in the world that the world starts out in a given micro state, but we don't know which micro state it is. All we can know as observers is that this microstate is belongs to a set which is a macrostate, which contains all the microstates that are indistinguishable for us. Mm-hmm. So we have this initial macrostate of the world. Now the question is how how does this state of the world uh, evolve, uh, and how can we account for this evolution? Of course, we know from mechanics. <clears throat> that each microstate evolves along a trajectory that is described by the equations of motion of mechanics, uh, and so and so uh, this set of microstates uh, that form the macrostate from our perspective is begins to to form a set of trajectories, all of which evolve together as time as time evolves. We can. We, we could ideally, of course, solve all the equations of motions uh, of the trajectories of, uh, of the system that start from the different microstates, all of which form the macrostate. So we have an infinite set of trajectories uh, 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 that, that uh, evolve together. Now, these, if you if, if, uh, suppose that ideally we could solve these equations of motion, and suppose that we would ask uh, uh, what would be the end points of each of those trajectories, say five minutes from now. So we have an initial macrostate, an initial set of microstates, 
we evolved, we solved the equations of motion for all the trajectories. We let those trajectories evolve from five, five minutes from now. Mm-hmm. And we ask, where, what are the endpoints of these segments of trajectories? In general, um, these, these endpoints would be spread over the different macrostates of the observed system. Some, some, uh, uh, some initial microstates would evolve uh, in a way that would seem to us as belonging to one macrostate. Other initial microstates would evolve to a different set of uh, uh, microstates that form a different macrostate. So, so there are different macroscopic possible evolutions given the initial macrostate. Mm-hmm. And this is, a, this is well known in, statist- in statistical mechanics. We know that an initial macrostate uh, has uh, different probabilities for evolving to, the, to, to other macrostates uh, within given times. Uh, and so what we are after is, is actually the probabilities uh, of the different future macrostates after five minutes. <clears throat> and the way we do it is by... A, a, a sort of new partition, perhaps, a new, a new uh, a sort of set of points, which is different from the macrostates. Until now, we only partitioned the state space into macrostates according to the indistinguishability for an observer. Right. Now, we take the set which formed a macrostate, we let it evolve, but the end point, the, the set of endpoints of that evolution forms a set, and this set, in general, will not coincide with any of the macrostates. If it will form some sort of a blob in the phase space with, with some, some shape, of course, the, the volume, the Lebesgue measure of that set will be the same, will have the same Lebesgue measure as the initial macrostate. But its shape can be any shape, depending on the dynamics. Uh-huh. And that blob, that dynamical blob, from five minutes from now, will overlap with several macrostates five minutes from now. And these different overlaps describe the different, different possible futures of that system five minutes from now. And, and these different overlaps b- between that dynamical blob, the dynamical evolution of the, of, of, of the trajectories, um, uh, and its overlap with the different blobs, this will describe the possible future macrostates and their probabilities. But perhaps we'll talk about how to calculate these probabilities uh, later on. That's, that's, that's that, the, that, one of the main issues that we, we want to, you know, in, in the book, we, what we said is that this is the basis of, of understanding how probabilities can arise in a completely deterministic theory. I mean, this construction, the interplay between the evolution of the blob on the one hand and the way it spreads over the macrostates is, you know, this interplay is, is, is the thing that, 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 that gives us or that gives rise to a notion of probability that we think is, is, is an objective feature of, of the world, even though the world is completely deterministic according to classical mechanics. And, and perhaps at this point, it, it's m- maybe useful to, again, to go back to the, to the current major theories 
in in statistical mechanics that we mentioned uh, before. That we yeah. Mentioned before. Yeah. yeah, good. Um, and for example, the notion of macrostates comes from Boltzmann. Our understanding of macrostates in terms of the of, of the correlations between observer and observed is not Boltzmannian. This is not what Boltzmann did. Uh, but but we do take inspiration from Boltzmann uh, when we talk about these uh, macrostates, because the idea that there are indistinguishable microstates that form a macrostate is this comes comes yes. from Boltzmann. Uh-huh. So so we we developed this idea, but but it definitely comes from Boltzmann. On the other hand, the idea that we need to follow the dynamics of the trajectories that start out in the initial macrostate, this is no longer a Boltzmannian idea. Here here we depart from from Boltzmann. And and we took the inspiration for the idea of a dynamical blob from from an idea that Gibbs uh, uh, offered uh, in in a different conceptual context. Gibbs talks about about an ink blob in order to account for his coarse-grained entropy. Uh, uh, This is a very different idea from what we have in mind. But but really the inspiration that Gibbs had in talking about the ink blob, blob was a great, this was a great idea. But we took it to a different context, and so it here. Um, uh, so Gibbs doesn't have the macrostates that we use. Boltzmann doesn't have the dynamical picture that we use. So here we have a fusion of both theories and a departure from these two theories already at at, at what we just uh, described. So um, you you mentioned the the concept of entropy, which um, I. I in a sense, I should, probably should have brought it up early because it is so central to discussions of thermodynamics, obviously. Um, uh, so maybe you could say what entropy is on your view or how, how best we should understand the concept of, of entropy, um, you know, given your, your entire approach. Yeah. Well, ent- well, in thermodynamics, entropy... Is, is 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 a notion that that is meant to capture the idea, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the amount of energy that is available to produce work. That's that's what it is meant to capture in thermodynamics. And in 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 when we when you go to statistical mechanics, entropy, you want to you want to reserve this meaning. And and the way and the way that seems best to do that is to is to associate entropy with the with the size or the measure or the bag measure usually in, in many situations uh, of the macrostate in which the system the thermodynamic system is in at a given time and. You know, when when we go to discussing issues about whether or not the second law generally holds, uh, given given the mechanical picture of the world, it, it is something we say in the book, uh, which which is which we, we think is interesting, is that you know the notion of entropy in mechanics, which is the the measure of the macrostate, is uh, I mean may I mean, will no longer be 
uh, will no longer correspond to the amount of energy that is available to produce work if, you know, in a world in which the second law of thermodynamics does not hold. And, and, and one of our central arguments, you know, uh, by the way, following, of course, others in, in the literature, we, we're not alone here, uh, one of our main arguments is that as a, met, as a, as a general theorem, it, it is not, you know, as, as a general thing, the second law of thermodynamics cannot be proved in, in, within mechanics as, as a general theorem. There is no way one can do that, even though, you know, textbooks in statistical mechanics sometimes implicitly give you the impression that, that this is just a matter of, um, you know, um, uh, of, of pragmatic, uh, uh, you know, complexities and so on. But there is a counterexample in mechanics to the second law, and, that's, and that counterexample is Maxwell's demon. And we show that Maxwell's demon is consistent with the principles of, of mechanics. Uh, and David Albert has shown this before in his book. Uh, we generalized his, his, his result here. And, uh, and, um, and, and, you know, there are differences between what David did and what we do. But, um, I mean, in general, that's, you know, it's a project that began with Maxwell. And then Albert took it up, and we continued it. And, and we think that it's now uh, established that Maxwellian demons uh, are consistent with the laws of uh, classical mechanics. So what would we need to do to, to build a Maxwellian demon? Or could we? I mean, is there, is it, if it's out of our reach, uh, why would it be? And if it's not, how, how might we actually realize that? Um, um, well, um, there are two, two um, uh, uh, issues that, that need to be addressed in this context, uh, or two ways to answer your, your question. Um, one is this. Um, uh, what we prove in the book is that a Maxwellian demon is possible in mechanics, and the way that we prove it is by, uh, by uh, um, um, using the conceptual framework that I explained before about the interplay between macrostates and the dynamics, the dynamical blobs, as I call them, um, uh, their interplay between these sets in the, the phase space. Uh, and uh, given this conceptual framework, it is possible to construct a sort of a special harmony between certain macrostates, a certain division, certain partition of the st state space into macrostate, and a certain possible dynamics. So this interplay between macrostates and dynamics can give rise to an evolution that is a Maxwellian demon. Mm -hmm. And so what we would need in, in, in very general theoretical terms what we would need to do in order to construct a demon would be to construct uh, the suitable harmony between macrostates and the dynamics of the system. Now, if, for example, the macrostates express our experience uh, as, as we human beings uh, look at the world, 
we as observers, then what we would need to do is to construct the right dynamics. But if we, would take, if we take the dynamics in our world as a starting point, we would need to find a, a, an observer that has the right emergence. But in general, the theoretical idea would be to construct a harmony between macrostates and and uh, and the dynamics. But this is this is very general, very theoretical, uh, and and uh, we, we in one of the appendices to to the book we give a more uh, a, a more detailed uh, example of a Maxwellian demons uh, along the line of of Zillard's engine. Um, relating to to Bennett's uh, version of Zillard's uh, engine and so on. So we have we have a detailed example of, of how this the the general direction um, in in which this might be done. Uh, but but there is an, another perspective on your question, which I think is more um, uh, is more intriguing and more uh, challenging. Uh, 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 and that comes out from our construction. And the idea is this. It might be that we are the demons, as Queen would, would sing. Um, <laughs> we are the demons, my friends. <laughs> and uh, 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 how, how, can, how can we be the demons? Um, well, the, the answer is this. Um, uh, uh, in the book, we... Uh, we um, analyze the notion of a measurement. What what does measurement mean? What is this notion? And we analyze the notion of a measurement using, again, the conceptual tools of macrostates, partition of the state space of the observed system, the measured system, into macrostates, and the dynamics of the system as it evolves over these macrostates. And one result of this analysis of measurement is that measurement can be entropy decreasing. It may be that the the process that we call a measurement is such that by the end of the measurement, the entropy of the whole universe is lower than it was before the measurement. It's not a local decrease of entropy that is compensated by an increase somewhere else. Right. No. This is a general decrease in the entire world of the entropy. But it may be that we, when we carry out measurements, every day, every time, whenever we look at something, whenever we look at something about which we didn't know the state before, we look at it just to find out what its state is whether the, the light is on or off, whether, uh, I don't know, wh- wh- whether the pen is red or blue. Any measurement we make on a daily basis is such, if, if we are right in our construction of, of measurements, every such measurement is such that we bring about a decrease of the entropy of the entire universe. Now, this seems... Uh, just on, on first reading, it may seem almost ridiculous, given given all we know about thermodynamics. I well, mean, I've seen very powerful. Yeah, um, but but what we want to suggest is that this does not contradict the second law of thermodynamics. And why? The answer is that thermodynamics 
did not and does not treat the context of measurements at all. What thermodynamics does, it, it tells us this, prepare system, and this preparation involves measurement, prepare system in some macro state, and then let it evolve freely. Don't measure it, just let it evolve. This evolution is described by the second law of thermodynamics. Mm-hmm. Uh, if this law, of, uh, of course, is true, we don't know that it is, but s- suppose that the second law is true. So there is an increase of entropy. But then when we look again, looking at the system decreases it, its entropy. And recall what, what Mayer said before, that entropy is a measure of the degree to which we can exploit the energy in the world. By measuring a system, we know more about it and we can exploit each energy, its energy. We can build everything around us. How come? How can we build everything? We can because we decrease entropy just by looking at things. And if we realize that this degree does not contradict all everything we know about thermodynamics, because, it, because thermodynamics is about whatever happens between measurements then we can understand how we can, how we can change the world in, in the way that we do and how this is compatible with thermodynamics. We complement thermodynamics. And, and if this is true, then we are little demons. Whenever we measure something and, and build something uh, uh, on the basis of this measurement. So, I mean, there's a, a couple of issues that are sort of related to what you've just said. Um, uh, But let me just focus on the idea of measurement um, and the parallel you draw to to memory, which which we, you know, sort of ordinarily think of as some sort of a a mental operation. Um, And it's a result of, or or one of the things that you suggest is that... um, uh, it's similarly it's it's consistent with statistical mechanics that that we can um, actually remember the future right rather than the past that it's a contingent thing that we remember the past um, and I know some people will say that that's just a conceptual confusion um, but I mean setting that aside um, can you explain this view this relationship between memory and and measurement Yes. Uh, well, I mean, one could define, one could, one could decide that all uh, uh, memory, you know, uh, uh, only only in cases where we remember the past, you know, just by by definition, and then and then, and then the issue is not interesting. So what what we say is that you know you 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 can tell me, I mean, you know, you can tell me whatever you want about. The notion of memory as a memory of the past, in the usual sense. Right. In 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 the book is we show that that you know every, everything that that you've said is compatible with remembering the future. So that's the that's the idea. Uh, uh, now, more generally, the the connection between measurement and memory is this. We start with a state of the, you know, with the state of the world uh, at at a, at, a, at a given moment of time, say the present. Then measurement 
is a description of of the possible ways, macroscopic ways, in which in which uh, in which the world can evolve. You know, in one direction of time in the future. Memory concerns the other direction, namely we start with with the present state of the world, which is a macro state, and we consider the possible ways in which in which the universe could have been in the past. Now, in the case of measurement, we we let you know we we look. We look. We look at the at the future direction, and we, and and we and we find out by means of an interaction and and detection what the what the future macro state, the actual future macro state of the of the world is. In the case of measure, uh, memory, we remember. We it, it's 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 the same thing. We detect. The, the 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 macro state of the universe in the past prior to to the present state given the present state so we so so there, there is a there is a parallel structure in the sense that both involve what we call a detection of the macro state you know in the future or in the past and a sort of collapse an epistemic collapse uh, onto the macro state that we some find out in measurement in the case of you know future state and the macro state that we that we remember in the, in the past. So this structure. Could um so this idea of a ep- epistemic collapse. Um, uh, I did want to bring that up as well because you um you you do introduce an idea of a, of a classical collapse, um, which is um which is not apparently the the like the collapse of the wave function in quantum mechanics um, could you could you explain your concept of a, of a classical collapse yes we should we should yeah this is an important thing that that you that you say uh, what we call the collapse in classical mechanics is completely different from the infamous uh, you know, uh, notion of the, of the collapse of the wave function in, in standard quantum mechanics. Uh, so it's a completely different notion. Uh, here, uh, the idea is that is that uh, nonetheless uh, we stress that it, that we think it is a very important uh, concept that 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 does work in the understanding of, of of statistical mechanics of classical statistical mechanics and the and and again the idea goes back to the issue that Orly talked about before namely the interplay between the dynamics and the partition to macrostates and and actually the collapse is our way of expressing in classical mechanics, the fact that you know, on every occasion, uh, at bottom, you know, when we forget all the stuff about macrostates and blobs, um, the evolution, the, you know, what happens in the world is supervenes on a single trajectory, microscopic trajectory, and when we find out, say, that a system is in a given macrostate. Uh, that's what happens. Namely, there could be various macrostates that are possible given the initial um, 
macrostate in which we prepare the system. There could be various macrostates that, that are possible, that are compatible with the dynamics. And the collapse, uh, when we detect the actual macrostate upon measurement, the collapse is take, takes us actually onto that macrostate which happens to be the actual one. Mm-hmm. Which happens to contain the actual trajectory that takes us from the initial macrostate <coughs> to the final macrostate. So now this this notion of a collapse is 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 important because it because we don't have access to the microstate to the microscopic trajectory of, of, of our system or of the of the world in general. And when we when we collapse the state onto a macrostate, we not only we're not confined even to just the block that we started with uh, in the beginning. Namely, there is a, a sort of an expansion of, 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 the, of the microstates, of the set of microstates that are compatible with what we see, and that even may include trajectories that, that come from other macrostates, you know, that, that, never, that, never, that were never instantiated <coughs> in our past. So this, you know, so the issue is really is really uh, complex. Here. So I th- I think we're we are running out of time, uh, unfortunately. Um, so let me just uh, wrap it up by asking: uh, Do you have what's your your next project? Do you have a um, a follow up uh, project to this particular one, or are you going in different directions, or what's what's next? Um, well, we have we have two sorts of uh, projects that we're up to now. <clears throat> One is more perhaps afterthoughts of 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 the project that we uh, that we have uh, in the book. We we have some results that we want to apply for other fields, for example, to Bohmian mechanics and so on. Um, in quantum this, in quantum in general. And so this is one one direction, uh, but uh, I w- I would like to focus on the other direction. And the other direction is to to think more about the status of the observer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because <clears throat> this is perhaps um, uh, this is uh, uh, we think this is uh, one of the major uh, contribution uh, of our conceptual system, uh, namely to account for an observer in, in a physical theory in which the observer is not there to begin with, in a, in a, in a mechanical theory without an observer. Uh, what, what does a, uh, an observer look like? What are the properties of an observer? Um, how to account for an observer? And what are the consequences of the fact that we are observer? Uh, so, so we want to expect this, and we do it uh, it, it takes us naturally towards the philosophy of mind, right? Uh, and, and so, so we think we can we can um, we can contribute in that in that field based on uh, what we built here. We take the notions of macrostates uh, and and everything that comes out of of, of this notion uh, to um, to explain. Ideas in the philosophy of mind. Uh, our project there is is a physicalist one. We want to offer <clears throat> a, uh, a coherent uh, type physicalist uh, theory uh, of mind, 
based on uh, the ideas that we developed uh, in the book. Well, that's, yeah, I, I look forward to reading that because, yeah, that was one of the the questions that we talked about a little, touched on earlier with the the role of and the nature of the observer. Um, but uh, I guess we're we're out of time now. But I so I'd like to to thank you both very much for for uh, talking with us today. Thank you very much. It was a discussion. Thank you, Karen. Okay, and uh, good luck with the with the next book. I hope to talk with you soon about that. You've been listening to an interview with Mayor Hemo and Orly Schenker on their new book, The Road to Maxwell's Demon, Conceptual Foundations of Statistical Mechanics, just out from Cambridge University Press. I'm Carrie Figdor. This is New Books in Philosophy. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast, and thank you very much for listening.